Hello and welcome to Politics with a P-Plater. My name's Alessandro Rossini. Today I had the absolute pleasure of talking with Labor MP Peter Khalil on a range of issues, including multicultural Australia, his time in public office and foreign policy. Today's episode is full of juicy content, so take a listen and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Politics with a P-Plater. I'm joined today by Federal Labor MP Peter Khalil, um, the local member for the electorate of Wills, which is, of course, held by former Prime Minister Bob Hawke. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Alessandro. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm a bit miffed that I'm only episode three. Why don't you have me on episode one? <laughs> Who'd you have on episode one? Someone famous, I think. No, episode one was me and my mates. Oh, it was your mates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fair we, enough. We thought politics with a P-plater. We'll get three P-platers on the it podcast. Sound like the L-platers on the episode one, <laughs> yeah, right? exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, it was a very successful episode, but I'm glad that I've got you here today with me. Um, and one thing we discussed a little bit just then, but I think we actually share in common is we both have very strong, I would say, influences from our mm. background. Mm-hmm. For me, it's obviously Greek and Italian. I've had a very strong yeah. influence. Um, what role has your Egyptian heritage played in your upbringing and what role do you think it continues to play now as both the member for Wills, but also the member for quite a ethnically diverse seat as well yeah a good question actually um you know i know the italians and, the, and you've got italian and greek in your family and mm. you run around with those t-shirts saying the italians do it better <laughs> and that the greeks claim that they started democracy but you know what you all learned from us the egyptians like we had three thousand years of civilization and 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 it's true that pythagoras the great mathematician spent 25 years studying in egypt so egyptian heritage and egyptian history obviously has a very significant influence on me very proud of that background and that mm. history it's a it's a great civilization mm. uh that that was bequeathed on the world uh in egyptian history but my parents migrated here um like most of the italians and greeks and other mediterranean peoples um you know some 50 years ago mm. and and you know i think the egyptian heritage and what i learned about my heritage, and I've gone back to Egypt a fair bit, mm. has been pretty significant. I mean, it, there's a pride in the history and mm. understanding of how important that is about the culture, the language, uh, the faith background. All of these things mm. are part of who I am. Um, I'm proud to be an Australian, mm. but I'm very proud of my heritage. Mm. And I think that's kind of a good thing that Australia has. You can be really proud of where you come from, mm. whether it's Italian or Greek or Vietnamese or Egyptian mm. or Lebanese or whatever it might be. Um, but but still being Australian, and that, that's that's really significant. So I think my parents, uh, to, to answer your question in the in the sense of what it actually how it influenced me, they were very big on getting a good education. They mm. they worked hard here. They sacrificed their lives to a certain extent. A lot of migrants do that mm. to build a better life for their children and their grandchildren. Um, and mum and dad always used to say, "You got to get a good education. We don't want you to you know to struggle in life." Mm. And education opens up doors to opportunity for you in Australia. Um, there's no shame in working in a factory or working, being working class, but we want you to ha- have the opportunities, the, the potential that you mm. can fulfill through an, a good education. So they're very, very strict on that, you know, mm. you know, study hard, go to university, get an education. Um, but also they instilled in me, uh, the sense of, um, how, how, um, how lucky we were to mm. be Australian. Um, mum and dad used to say to me, oh, you remember, you know, everyone says, Everyone says Australia is a lucky country. And mm. they say, no, actually, we're not the lucky country. Mm. Um, it's actually us who are lucky to be Australian. Mm. We've been given an opportunity in this country uh, where there's peace, there's a degree of prosperity, there's opportunity. Mm. Um, and so they always used to say to give something back to the country 
that's given us so much. Mm. Having said that, it wasn't easy. Like there mm. were a lot of obstacles. There was yep. a lot of racism. There was yep. prejudice. There was, um, you know, difficulties growing up in the seventies and eighties in Australia. You mm. know, I think most of your parents and grandparents would have the same experience of being called wog and all the rest mm. of it, right? Um, and all of the passive um, racism, the sort of systemic part of it, and the challenges that you had to overcome. But they also write in that Australia gave us this opportunity. We got public housing. Mm. We, 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 you know, as new migrants, we got, you know, we grew up in a housing commission, but we, we got public housing. We had education mm. and we had healthcare and it gave us that start. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, that's why I joined Labor. I was like, Labor government's provided that mm. really. Um, but the Egyptian part of it, but having that history and having that culture, it does make you, it enriches your life to a certain extent. The same with a lot of the Italians and Greek mm. Australians that I know, they're proud of that history. Absolutely. I'm so proud of my history. Um, very, very proud. And I think one thing I've always battled with, and it comes back to your point that you made before, um, I'm very proud to be Australian, um, but I'm also very proud of my Greek and Italian heritage. And inter- interestingly enough, whenever I'm in Australia, I say, you know, I'm half Greek, half Italian. When I travel overseas and people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm Australian. Yeah. So it's quite a it's yeah. a weird it's a weird way the way and, and here when you get to ask that question here I mean I remember growing up so where where you from I'm like um you know from over here Preston or Denmark <laughs> or whatever and they'll be like because I've moved around a bit but no no like no 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 where are you from I'm like from Melbourne mm. no 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 where are you really from mm. and so you, you have to go back to your you have to kind of prove almost your identity mm. it's a, it was a, it's a weird thing in Australia so I struggled a lot with my identity growing mm. up who am I mm. am I Australian. Like if people tell me to go back to where I came from mm. or being racist about it, it's like it kind of, it, it forces you to question your identity, um, where you belong, you know, where you belong. Mm. Um, and it took a long time for me to learn or to, uh, to, to get through that, to understand, uh, what it means to be an Australian. I think migrants have had to think about being Australian more, mm. more often than not. And it makes it makes you probably more proud of being Australian to some mm. to, in some respects, despite all the obstacles. So, um, and so we can do that. We can be pr- proud of our heritage, but also be proud of being Australian and and really embrace that. Absolutely. I wanted to touch on an issue now, um, and again, we briefly spoke about this before, but bipartisanship within the parliament. Mm. I have quite an optimistic outlook on politics in Australia, on our institutions. Um, and um, our government and the way things are work. you an outlier because there's a lot of cynicism of politics. In, well, that's, that's in, what I was yeah, about. Yeah. I'm definitely an outlier. Um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast was to, I guess, highlight or ask different sorts of questions um, so that people can hopefully be re-engaged in politics and not turn off the TV when someone's trying to um, spread ideas or make mm. a suggestion. Um, so I wanted to talk specifically about bipartisanship that you've experienced. Um, big issues, same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously had um, now recently with China, it's been quite a big bipartisan issue. Um, is bipartisanship in the parliament quite prominent? I mean, obviously we've got question time, which is the opportunity yeah. To, yeah. to sledge one another. But yeah. outside of that, is bipartisanship something that happens quite regularly um, in the in the parliament? I mean, the short answer is yes. I mean, what people see on TV is question time mm. and the thea- theatrics of question time, the atmospherics, mm. the, you called it sledging, but mm. this sort of shouting and carrying on like pork chops. Mm. You know, there's a fair bit of that mm. going on because it, you know, it's, it's on TV. That's an hour and a half a day mm. out of a 12-hour day or sometimes longer mm. where the rest of the time the parliament is actually debating legislation in a, mm-hmm. in a pretty responsible and professional way. Mm. There may be disagreements, but there's a debate on the substantive points of the of the legislation that's before us. There's committee work where mm. you work with your um, fellow parliamentarians 
uh, on various policy areas. So I'm on the I'm the deputy chair of the treaties committee. We look at all the international treaties mm. that Australia uh, is a signatory to, and we do a review for the parliament of those. Um, I'm also on the Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade uh, Parliamentary Committee and also on the Intelligence and Security Committee. And there's a, a really high degree of uh, co- cooperation and working constructively mm. together um, in, in the sense of, you know, pursuing Australia's national interest. Mm. Now, there are disagreements. Mm. There are political disagreements. There are ideological disagreements. Mm. But we work through those. Sometimes there's a minority report or a dissenting report and so on. But you don't have the same atmospherics of question time. Mm. Therefore, the media is not interested in filming some boring people sitting around a table mm. agreeing with each other or discussing, you know, mm. point by point a bit of legislation. It's just not sexy enough to, to go on the news. Yep. But when, you know, Morrison and our leader Albo are sort of shouting at each other across the thing or whatever, mm. then it makes the news, right? Mm. So to answer your question, there is bipartisanship. Mm. Now, but let me make this point about bipartisanship. You don't just do it for the sake of it. Yeah. Right? You, you do it. There's bipartisanship when there is an agreement that we, we have a common objective mm. for, the, for Australia's national interest and we can actually work together to get there. Mm. Our politics is predicated on the idea that there is a contest of ideas, mm. that we have different perspectives and views about the direction of the country mm. of policies and laws that we want to put in place to to take us in that direction and the whole idea of the democracy is that we can mm. do this without shooting each other yeah and we can do it through debate yeah and through a majority voting mm. system so we can pass laws and and power is retained and utilized mm. by the party that is chosen through the sovereign will of the people yeah Okay, not through force. Yep. And that is the key of it. And so it's actually good to have a bit of toing and froing because it's a contest of ideas, ideas. you know. Yep. Um, where we do agree on something, fine. We can mm. be bipartisan. Where we don't, we have to make the argument to the people about our way being better or why our what we're suggesting is a better way forward. Absolutely. And I think a lot of Aussies as well respect that too. They want a contest of ideas. Um, but I think they also expect, res- like, politicians to be respectful to one another as well and not to i guess you've heard the media you know say behave like children before mm. and 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 stuff like that um i'm I, i'll give you a quick story so i'm actually a monarchist i mm. um, believe in australia's system of constitutional monarchy and often when i'm talking with other monarchists you know they'll they'll sledge republicans or whatever like that and i often stop them and i'm like no, I said they've got a vision, their vision for what they think Australia should be or should become, for their vision for a better Australia. Mm. And as a monarchist, I respect that. Yep. Um, and I thank them for it because I think it it makes our country richer and more diverse. Um, now, I don't agree with that vision and I've got yeah. my own vision that I want to share as well. But I think, I think that's what, bringing it back to politics, what Aussies respect that contest of ideas but in a respectful but, but, but what you're talking about is respecting your opponent mm. so to use a sporting analogy with australians love mm. what, what we're talking about here is playing the ball not the man mm. or the woman right? exactly like you if you start sledging your opponent on their on their person mm. because of who they are or what their background is or you're trying to undermine them personally you, you've lost it mm. like like i'm a bit like you in the sense that i i'm quite happy to debate and I'll go in hard mm. when I discuss issues that matter to Australia mm. about what I think is the best way forward and I'll make a rational argument and I'll be mm. advo- I'll use advocacy and I'll use all those persuasive arguments because we're, we, it's about that contest of ideas but I'm not going to play the man or the woman mm. I'm not going to attack them personally I, I say to my opponents like whether it's 
you know, Craig Kelly, who I completely disagree with, mm. and the anti-vax Craig. Once we cross the white line, mm-hmm. I'm not. It's not a personal thing. Yep. I'm happy to talk to people in a very polite, friendly manner. It's, mm. it's and so I played footy like that. So I think people understand um, in the sporting sense. You know, you don't take it off the field. Like right? mm. you know, you 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 give your best. Yeah. In the contest itself, but it's not. It shouldn't be personal. Now. Something I actually didn't know about you that I found right quite interesting. You uh, recently released a paper called Taxing Times. It's time for multinationals oh, yes. to pay up. Yeah. Um, and I read a little bit of it um, as I was doing research um, for this interview. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that you you said, and I'm quoting you here, you said, the average cafe business pays 27.5% of their earnings on tax. All the while, big multinational corporations get away with paying nothing. And some like Google or Facebook essentially determine their own uh, own tax rate in their case two or three percent in simple terms and i know you put uh, some of your proposals out there in the paper but in simple terms um, for our listeners what do you think um, the answer is because i guess one of the big responses by um, the people that are opposed to increasing taxes for multinational corporations is that you know we don't we don't want to scare business away we want them sure. to stay in australia what, yeah. what, how do you balance yeah, i've heard that? that argument a lot right <laughs> So let me knock that argument on the head straight away before I tell mm. you. So when people say, oh, no, 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 we can't make them pay their taxes because they won't headquarter in Australia. They might go and headquarter elsewhere. It's BS. Like what we're talking about is a, a, a company, a multinational that makes a billion dollars in Australia paying, you know, 80 million in tax when they should be paying two or 300 million in tax, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you really think that that company is going to stop operating in Australia or stop headquartering in Australia mm-hmm. if, if they have to pay, are they going to say no to 500 million in revenue? Mm. No, they're not. Right. Mm. So that's a BS argument, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to, they're going to still operate in Australia. So what I've said in my paper is this is outrageous that mm. these multinationals, the, the way that the international tax system um, or the lack of structure in that respect, it's outrageous. These, these big multinationals can use all sorts of techniques mm. to headquarter in tax free havens even though their their operations and the profit that they turn is in our country, they don't have to pay tax in the country mm. um, where they're making their money. They can they can you know if they base in the Cayman Islands or some other low tax haven or no tax haven, they can get away with it. So think of the imagery of a dragon. These guys are like big dragons. Mm. They come in, they swoop in, they take the loot out of Australia, out of Australia, the treasure, mm. um, you know, and then they carry it all the way to some island. Mm. Uh, elsewhere and and hoard it up there yep. and they're not paying the taxes from where they're taking it right so um that's got to stop mm-hmm. and so the answer to about how this can happen there's been a couple of models on this macron and some of the other european countries slapped um a flat digital tax on some of the big tech companies mm-hmm. saying if you're making money in france mm-hmm. if you're making 500 million in france you'll pay your five percent tax where you make the money. Mm-hmm. It's a flat, you know, it's a pretty simple thing. That's a digital tax. It's already been put in place uh, by France, Spain, a couple of the UK, a couple of other countries, right? There is also work being done by the OECD uh, itself mm-hmm. to restructure this to actually make multinationals pay their fair share so they can't escape um, from paying the taxes they make in the countries where they make they turn the profit. Yeah. Now, my argument is Australia should be leading on this. Yeah. It's outrageous that there are billions of dollars that could be going into the you know, into our budget that could be paying for schools, for hospitals, for climate change, uh, infrastructure, whatever, mm. right? Whatever you want. Billions of dollars mm. that are just sitting in the bank accounts in, the, in those multinational uh, accounts 
offshore because they're avoiding paying tax here. Yeah. If they make the profit here, they should be paying the tax here. And it's BS to say, well, I'm basing uh, our, our operations are, are actually in Singapore, mm-hmm. even though we made 750 million in Australia. Yeah. That needs to stop. And, and, and I provided a number of ideas about how to go about doing that. Now, I'd like to move on to your time in public office. You were elected in 2016 uh, to Wills. You've seen the highs, some highs and lows in Parliament. Um, do you have like an interesting or a funny anecdote from your time in public <laughs> office that you think our listeners would be interested to hear about? A funny? Yeah, interesting or funny. Something... Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Well, I'll tell you one in Parliament, which was just recent when we were debating the religious discrimination mm. bill, which was a big deal that debate went until 5 30 in the morning it went for like <laughs> 22 hours straight of debate now i spent most of the night trying to convince some of these liberals that we we're talking about bipartisanship mm-hmm. earlier to cross the floor mm. um on some of this because i, I thought it was uh, the way that morrison was 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 structuring the bill was as a wedge basically mm. he was politicizing uh religious discrimination for short-term political gain and i was trying to make sure that um we weren't um we weren't basically uh, uh, taking away the rights of one group in favour of another group. You know, mm-hmm. I believe in the importance of federal laws to prevent against discrimination of someone's faith or their sexuality or whatever. Mm. That's not what Morrison was doing. So to cut a long story short, it was about trying to get um, some of these libs across the floor. So I spent most of the night in in the rooms of MP liberal MPs. I brought a bottle of scotches and this and that. <laughs> I was trying to convince them, like, listen, this is an important national issue. You've got across the floor. Have the courage to do it, mm. you know. Um, so I lost a, uh, lost a bit of my uh, alcohol cabinet on that mm. one. But um, <laughs> what was funny was that at 3.45 a.m., I got up to do a speech mm. on an amendment. Mm. We were still debating amendments at 3.45 a.m. The whole of the thing, people were half asleep. And it, it, this is, I don't know if this is funny, but I actually start off my speech by saying, I know you're all asleep, <laughs> <laughs> but wake up. I yeah. want you to listen to this. And, mm. and, and they eventually kind of did. I didn't win, the, win enough on that amendment. But... You get all this kind of crazy stuff that happens in Parliament. It's not a n- normal place. Like when you say funny, it's mm. kind of weird and surreal mm. in some respects because you you have 5,000 people descend on the building mm. every parliamentary sitting week and there are late nights, long hours, high pressure, high adrenaline, and it becomes, you know, uh, a strange place and it can be a place that, you know, um, you know things aren't done with a proper culture or mm. a, a good standard uh, and that's something that we've, we've been trying to address in the parliament as well one one thing i do want to touch on is defense specifically i'm quite passionate about it yep um, and i think australians are too um, obviously we've got this growing presence of china in our region um, and a threat as well um, and as i said i recently spoke with james patterson and i asked him how how is the coalition going to differentiate between labor on the issue and one of the things he touched on was Labor's history with defence. You're obviously serious on China. Um, do you think the ALP is just as serious on these issues as you are, given the history that, as I said, I've just cited um, from people like James Patterson, uh, who you've got a close working relationship with? Yes, yeah, so I'm on the the intelligence committee with James. Mm. He's the he's the chair, and we went on a trip together. He's a, he's a really good guy. Don't agree with him, obviously, on a lot of um, issues ideologically and. Um, around policy direction, but there's some things we do agree with. Mm. But I don't agree with him on his... Uh, I've heard him run these lines about defence spending, so let's knock that on the head first. This argument that we cut defence spending and oh, blah, blah. You know what? What they're doing is very clever. They're plucking out one year mm-hmm. where there was a shift of the defence spending during the Rudd-Gillard years. Well, I'll tell you this. If you took the six years of Rudd-Gillard government and compared it to the Howard government, which was 11 years, the difference is 0.02% on mm-hmm. defence spending. 
It was 1.78 uh, to uh, 1.8. That was the difference, 0.02%. Okay? So, again, these guys have been in, in power for nine years, and they keep reaching back into the bag. Oh, but look what Labor did in 2012 or 2010. All right, now, come on, guys. You've been in power for nine years. Right? Take responsibility. All right? And so when they try and turn it on us, it's a bit pathetic because they've been in power for nine years. And in those nine years, what have they done on defense capability, Alessandro? They've talked a big game, okay? We have defense capability gaps all over the place, right? And now Dutton is scrambling 11th hour to buy some missiles to cover some of these gaps, to do some defense capability. Now, and they say, and James says, and others will say, oh, but, you know, it takes years. You know, you should know it takes years to do these projects. You've had nine years. Like, don't tell me you didn't understand that the rise of authoritarianism and autocratic states, that was on everyone's radar five, six years ago. We saw the changes going on. You can't just say you were surprised by what just happened in the last year in Ukraine. And it's too important. This is where the difference is, right? Yes, in our party, people see this very, very clearly, the importance of defence. You know, the leader has said, Anthony Albanese has said very clearly, um, China has changed. We know that. We're dealing with a threat now. Penny Wong has said that. Richard Miles has said that. I'm saying it. We need to actually deal with that. Sure, they're an important economic partner, and they're still important for our economic relationship. We want to maintain that, okay? But we also need to make sure that our defense capability and our national security are taken care of, and we're going to, we've got policies in place to do that when it comes to defense capability. Uh, and doing it in the national interest, not for a political purpose, um, you know, to win some votes. I want to move on to the Greens and uh-huh. more broadly speaking, um, the Wills electorate. Yep. I guess we've seen quite recently as well, maybe I'm going to say in the last 15 <clears throat> years politi- politically, um, an increase in support for the uh, for the Greens party. Um, and we're even seeing it to an extent um, with Wills slowly, slowly, they're getting a slightly larger vote of support. Um, how, how do you plan to combat that? Um, and how do you plan to, um, I guess, secure what is still a safe Labor seat um, for years to come. Well, actually, just to, to correct you a little bit mm. on the factual mm. side of things, uh, there is stronger green support in the um, in, in this part of the world, but actually their vote went backwards in Wills particularly mm. at the last election, whereas in 2016 they had a pretty strong vote. I think it was close to 30% primary. Um, in 2019, when I got re-elected, um, the swing came back to, to Labor. Now, part of that is obviously our policy offering, but we worked very, very hard, as a, I did as a new MP, to serve the community, mm. to, to actually get things done mm. for my constituents. Like the big part of – my team's not large. We only have like four, four full-time staff and electorate office, but we help people every day, whether mm. they be pensioners, whether they be students, whether they be people who are refugee or asylum seekers, whether they be families who are in need of, of assistance – um, whether it's schools or stakeholder groups or charities or local community groups, um, we work every day to support the community because that's my job, mm. right, to, to serve. I, I represent them in Parliament in Canberra, but also as an opposition. I, mm. I, I, as an MP, I, I serve the community and I work on national policy ideas as well, which we've been discussing. And I think the big difference between um, having a Labor MP and the Greens is that we can actually deliver on those ideas. And we talked about how politics was a contest of ideas, right? We can actually deliver those ideas and execute on them and implement them in mm. government for real, not just talk about it because we're a party that can form government. As to the Greens' argument that, oh, well, 
we want to have a minority government to keep them honest and you know push them. I don't need the Greens to tell me. I don't. They're not going to change my view on these things. I have a long-standing up, you know, decades of of working through these policy ideas. Our party has a democratic process that works through a lot of these policy ideas. We have a platform. You know, I worked on changing the refugee and asylum seeker policy in my party with my colleagues, which we mm. did. I didn't need the Greens to tell me that. It was something I was passionate about before I even went into politics. Okay, so. I think the difference, I mean, there's some progressive issues that may be shared, but there's certain, certain things that we disagree on ideologically as well. Um, and we don't need the Greens to tell the Labor Party to do X, Y, or Z. We have our policy ideas. We work through them. And more importantly, we cost them. We actually cost them because we actually have to implement them in government. And, you know, on climate change, which is a big, obviously, issue, the environment and climate change, you look at our climate change policies that we've announced already. These are policies that will become real rather than just talking about them or staying in opposition. We can form government and we can actually deliver the net zero emissions by 2050. We can deliver on 82% renewable energy by 2030. That's our commitment. We can deliver the $24 billion in investment in renewable energy infrastructure so that we can get to 82% renewable and transition out of fossil fuels. We can deliver on the solar community batteries. I've announced two in my lecture, one for Brunswick and one for um, Coburg, where you have solar battery power that can, that renters can plug into, for example. We can deliver on the cheaper electric cars. These are real things that will actually happen, not just talk about them. Mm. So there's a fundamental difference there. And people want to toss out Scott Morrison. They want a Labor government. You, you vote one Labor. And, you, uh, and for me as a local MP as well, you'll get someone who works absolutely hard and is in part of that conversation in a Labor caucus government with the Prime Minister and the leadership to make these things happen for real. Thanks for that answer. I, I wanna... That was a good lecture pitch, wasn't it? Was it was very good. If people don't vote for me now after that, I don't know what else I could do. Anyway. <laughs> um, I want to I move on to a segment we've called uh, Questions Without Notice. Oh, yes. Um, so uh... I can pretend to be the Prime Minister on this one, right? <laughs> um, I'll be the speaker then. Um, no, I can't be because I'm asking the question. Yeah. But for those at home, um, uh, Peter doesn't know the... Uh, the topic of this question, but um, it's going to be. I didn't be... know the topics of the other questions I, you, either, you, Alexandra. You, you, I had no idea. Well, what I you told were your media out. team. Oh, did you? <laughs> they didn't tell me. <laughs> um, but this one, this one here, um, is an issue that I guess is cross party. Um, but it's particularly the issue of like bullying within Parliament. Mm. Um, you've seen Julia Banks on the coalition yeah, side. You've yeah. seen Emma Hassar on Labor side allege incidents <clears> of bullying. Um, and recently, and very tragically, of course, uh, Kimberly Kitching passed away yeah. um, from a suspected heart attack. Um, I, I want to ask you, it was it was quite public, um, Australia's disappointment in the way co- the coalition had managed issues regarding women um, and uh, bullying within the parliament. And now that there's been alleged bullying to have occurred within, mm. occurred within Labor, um, there hasn't been an investigation that's taken place. Um, do you support an investigation taking yeah, place? Um, and if not, can you understand why people... Uh, a turning away from politics and B sitting there and going, okay, well, Labor's just as bad as a coalition yeah, because no. they're calling each other out, but they're not doing anything yeah. on it. Well, firstly, on that the last part of that question, absolutely, the, the, there is what shocked me when I first got elected to Parliament was that the place where you make the laws of the country, mm. they did they had a system in place where there was no third party mechanism mm. with respect to allega- uh, allegations of uh, assault or abuse or mm. um, bullying or harassment was able to be investigated mm. properly what you had was each of the mps and senators being the kind of boss in their own office if you like mm. and they were the ones supposed to adjudicate if there was a 
allegation of harassment in their office. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like mm. I, I came out of, I worked in the private sector and in the public sector. I, I, before I got elected, I was a director of corporate affairs at SBS. Mm. So there, there were, you know, it was a legal affairs, a, a HR department. Any allegations would be, we referred to those and there's a proper process that's arm's length that would be undertaken away from those who'd alleged or the vic- uh, alleged victim or the perpetrator or whatever. Mm. Like there was a proper process in place. Whereas at the Australian Parliament, there isn't. Mm. There wasn't. There mm. hasn't been. And it just shocked me. So each MP or senator was kind of the monarch. I know you're mm. a monarchist, but the monarch of their own little office. Mm. So if their chief of staff is alleged to have uh, harassed a junior staffer, they were supposed to adjudicate that and work that out? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I was very, very pleased to see the uh, Jenkins report mm-hmm. and the recommendations come out of the Jenkins report. I mean, mm-hmm. we contributed to that, obviously, in, in conversations. And we've fully committed, the Labor Party's fully committed to implement all of the Jenkins uh, recommend, uh, report recommendations to address these these issues and to address the structural weaknesses. Um, the second part of it around the, the it goes to that cynicism of politics and they're all the same. And so I can tell the listeners here, that's not true. Mm. There are a lot of good people who work in the building, in, mm. in Parliament House, whether they be MPs and senators or whether they be staff members, whether they be public servants, um, who work damn hard mm. every day um, to, 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 you know, to advance Australia's interests. They might not agree in a different side of politics, but they work really hard. There is a small minority of people who have behaved atrociously and there's been, and but every workforce has that. But when you add that to the fact that there's not the actual proper structures in there, you can see where the problems arise. With respect to our, uh, the issues around it, my understanding about the investigation is that there are processes that the Labor Party has to investigate any allegations. We, we put those in place unilaterally before even the Jenkins report. And any allegations that are made um, about the harassment or bullying would go through those processes, absolutely. Mm. Um, and so the leadership is basically saying that, you know, if those allegations and they're, they're put forward, there'll be a... Of course, we'll go through all of that kind of stuff. Um, I Kimberly was a friend of mine, and uh, I was devastated by her loss. In fact, uh, you were talking about that trip to Washington. I was supposed to catch up with her um, straight after, like it was on the Friday after she passed on the Thursday, I was going to catch up with her and talk to her about the trip to the US and sort of give her a brief on everything that was going on because she's so passionate about national security like I am. Uh, and I never had that conversation and it was just tragic. Um, so, you know, we need to do better, all of us, to to uh, look out for each other, obviously, in the high-pressure work that we do. Mm. There's a lot of pressure, but, but basic decency, basic... Um, ways of actually treating people are critically important, whether it's in politics or the corporate sector or academia, whatever whatever it is. But over and above all of that, mm. there should be proper structures in place to ensure that you have a process um, to investigate allegations like this at the parliamentary level. That workplace should be a safe workplace. And that's why we have to implement all of the recommendations of the Jenkins report in that respect. Do you, bringing it back to Kimberley Kitchen specifically, do you support an investigation into the if the, allegations? If, the, if those allegations were made, there should be uh, a, a process undertaken. But I, my understanding is they haven't been. Okay. Um, I want to. I'm aware we're running out of time, so I want to wrap things up for you. Um, I invite all my political guests on the show to make a 30 second pitch. I guess on your vision for Australia, on your vision for your electorate um, ahead of this uh, our 47th federal election. Well, if you're sitting there listening to this and you're a voter in Wills, I'll say to you this. Vote one Labor, vote one Peter Khalil, because it is about making a difference to your life. Now, I'll work hard for you at the local level as someone 
who represents you as a constituent and make your life better as your local MP. But if we can win government, if we can have a Labor government, we can make a difference to millions of people's lives. We can actually make a difference to our society for the better and we can make a difference to our place in the world and ensure the work that I have and the experience that I have can be put into place to actually ensure and work towards uh, a stable and secure environment that we live in regionally, but also our ongoing prosperity. And I'll work hard every day for you to make that happen. Thank you so much, Peter Khalil, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Alessandro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. To keep up to date on future content, please visit our Instagram page, p underscore plata underscore politics, or our recently launched Twitter page, p underscore plata underscore poll. My name's Alessandro Rossini, and this is Politics with a P Player.